0: Our Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for today. God, thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for the love that you have lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. That you've sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins, to redeem us from the bondages of sin. Lord, when we read your word and we see your beautiful creation and we see that everything that you've created was very good, how, we have, how we've been created in your image and we are the crown of your handiwork and you've given us a, a mandate to be fruitful, multiply, to rule over the fish, over the birds, over the animals, over the land. And Lord, it looked like paradise and it's almost now when we look at it, Lord, it seems like it was in a different lifetime, an alternate universe, because sin has blinded us so much and has distorted everything that you have made good, that it even impacts us today as we look at your word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, can you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand? Can you help us to see the beauty of all of your creation? Can you help us to see a little bit how much sin has distorted everything? And can you help us, in a sense, to recapture and model your beautiful creation and the reason and the purpose of what you've created us for? So come, Lord, and speak to us and make yourself known. Encourage our hearts and may we look to you. And We ask all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we're continuing our series through the book of genesis and so we're going to be in genesis chapter one uh we're going to start off with with verse 26. um it's a little recap of what we talked about last week the reason um, why i believe uh, this series will be helpful for us going through the book of genesis um, is because genesis is probably one of the most important books in the bible because without Without the book of Genesis and hearing the origin uh, of us, and, and really we would have no salvation story because really the book of Genesis tells us and records all these sacred events of how and why God created us and what has gone wrong in the world. And it, there's also whispers of this Messiah that is going to come. All of it is recorded in the book of Genesis and without it, we would in a sense be lost because we would not be able to answer the question, where do we come from? What is our purpose? What? has gone wrong in the world and so genesis functions in a sense as this introduction story of god writing his story about writing his story and in this story addresses important questions like where did we come from what is our purpose what's gone wrong in the world and is there a solution to the problems that we face And where we go to find the answers and how we try to answer those questions really impacts how we will look at the world and how we will live our lives. And so my hope for us in this series as we walk through the book of Genesis is that we will discover the God of the Bible who is the answer to all of these questions, now before we get into our text i want to talk a little bit about the book of genesis introduction a little bit more do a recap and then we'll get into our text Um, but when we look at the book of genesis as a whole the book of genesis really stirs up um, a lot of controversy and receives a lot of criticism with endless uh, debates and discussions and unfortunately this either caused us when we study the book of genesis to cause either more confusion when we're studying the book or it's caused us to neglect the book as we're kind of treating it as radioactive because everybody is just arguing with all of these things that's in the book of Genesis. And so how do we remedy it? If it's, if, it's, if it's in a sense confusing, if it stirs up a lot of controversy, how do we study the book and not fall into the trap of being more confused or spending all of our time and all of our energy just debating among one another? And I think there's a way to, uh, to remedy this. The first thing to avoid confusion is We have to recognize that Genesis is not telling us all that we want to know, but rather it is telling us all what we need to know. So some of you have questions about our origin, and you want to know the answer to it, and Genesis is not telling you maybe some of it. But what it is telling you is absolutely what you need to know. And this is how we should face this book. We need to focus on what it is telling us clearly. Clearly, it's telling us what we need to to know. Second thing I want us to focus on is this. If Genesis is so controversial, even among Christians, like I'm not talking to the atheist, I'm not talking to the agnostic, um, or to the non-believer, or the nuns, uh, whatever you want to call yourself, I'm talking to the Christian here. To the Christian, even the book of Genesis seems controversial. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves, and the question we need to answer is, if this book is so controversial, how can we trust the content of this book? In other words, how do we know that what's written in this book is for our good and it is truth in what it proclaims? Again, my argument is not for the non-Christian. It's for you. It's for the Christian. How do you know that what is said in Genesis is true? Let's try to answer this. Now, historically... It was believed and it's still believed today that Moses wrote the book of Genesis or composed the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is considered to be part of the pentateuch which is the five first which is the five first books of the Hebrew Bible which is the Old Testament and it's also the five first books of our Bible the Christian Bible which includes the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. So, the first five books of the Bible is Genesis, Exodus. We kind of stop after there because we don't want to read the rest. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, Moses wrote it. Part of the first five books, he wrote the first five books, the Pentateuch. It's also believed that Genesis, if it's part of the Pentateuch, the category that Genesis falls under is known as the Torah or the Law. So in other words, you have books of the Bible that's categorized together. So you have the first five books, that's known as the law, and then you have the historical books, and then you have the wisdom literature, and then you have the prophets, the prophetic books. Genesis falls under the category of the law, which kind of makes sense because we certainly see a unity between Genesis, Exodus, and the rest of the books of the law. Because in Genesis, we see the universal story of mankind. We even see whispers of God's law. Um, we might get it today. If we're not going to get it, we're definitely going to get it next week. But on, after God created everything on six days, what happened on the seventh? God rested he blessed that day and he called that day holy and what's the fourth commandment that God gave the nation of Israel Honor this Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Do you see a little bit of the unity? Um, In Genesis, we find the origin story of the nation of Israel. And it started with God making a promise to Abram. And through the entire book of Genesis, we're following this dysfunctional family. And this promise that God has made of turning them into a mighty nation. And then in Exodus, where do we get to? All of a sudden, we're in Egypt. And they're in a mighty nation, and God delivers them, and he gives them the law. He forms them into a nation, gives them the law, and they're right on the edge of the promised land. You see the unity between Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, I still have to answer the question, how can we believe the content and the truths that Genesis proclaims? And again, this argument is for the Christian. I think we can believe the content of Genesis and the truth that it proclaims because of what Jesus claims about Genesis, okay? It's a simple argument. There's really not much to it. How do I know what's true about Genesis? Well, if I believe Jesus is true, what he says is true then i can believe what he said look at what jesus says about genesis um you you can yeah you can quickly go go to matthew matthew uh, chapter 5 we're going to be in matthew matthew chapter 5 and also matthew chapter 19. so look at matthew chapter 5 verse 17 to 18. i think this passage is very uh, familiar to everybody this passage or this part of the passage is known as the sermon on the the Mount okay and here's what Jesus says Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 to 18 he says don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets I did not come to abolish but to fulfill for truly I tell you until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished Now, when Jesus uses the word law, notice in some of your translations, it's capitalized. And the Hebrew word for law law is Torah. What was Jesus referring to? The first five books of the Bible. And what falls in the first five books of the Bible? Genesis. And what does Jesus say about Genesis? I did not come to abolish it. I did not come to to take the book of Genesis and dropkick it away. But I came to do what? I came to fulfill it now it almost gives us a clue what's the book of genesis all about the fulfillment of the seed the offspring and you'll see that in chapter 3 and we're following the seed we're following this offspring aka we're following jesus through the pages of of genesis And Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter, not the smallest iota will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. That's a pretty hefty statement about the book of Genesis. But but let's keep on. Second statement that Jesus makes about Genesis, and then we're going to move on. Matthew 19, verses 4 to 5. Um, And the reason I'm bringing this up is because in our culture, the passage that we're going to talk about is probably one of the most criticized and one of the most controversial passages throughout the Bible. Never used to be, but now it is and here's my fear here's what i'm seeing among christians and again i'm not talking about non christians my concern is with christians because i'm a pastor over christians my concern is that we are abandoning the truths of scripture to accommodate for the truths of culture and what i want to tell you in all love is saying you got this wrong because you cannot abandon the truths of scripture without abandoning jesus Because look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 4 to 5. He says, haven't you read, he replied, he was asked about the question about divorce. He says that "That he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. What's Jesus quoting? Jesus is quoting Genesis. So how can I believe the content of Genesis? How can I believe that what Genesis says is true? Because the claims that Jesus makes about it. Which means if I believe, and again I'm talking to the Christian here, if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Messiah, He is the Lord over everything, He is the living Word of God, He is the truth, then I must believe His words. And if He affirms Genesis, what does it mean I must do? I must affirm Genesis. Everybody on the same page? Okay. Now, if you're like, how do I know Jesus' words? That's for a different, different discussion here. So last week, we, we, we started looking at the creation narrative. And as we read the opening chapter of Genesis, we really spent most of our time and all of our energy and all of our efforts looking at the truth that Genesis revealed to us about God. And so last week, real quick, we learned that God simply is, that God is the creator, that there's only one God, that God is a talking God, and that He has authority over everything, and everything that God has created was good, and that creation proclaims the greatness and glory of God. And so if you missed it, you can listen to the sermon online. And all of these truths, what we learned about God, shows us that God can be known. Like, God is not some mystical, mysterious, unknown force but god himself can make can be known and he's noble and he's revealed himself to us through creation he's revealed himself to us more specifically through his word and through his son jesus christ and so we learned that god can be known and so today as we look at the final day of creation you're going to notice out of all the days of creation the sixth day more details is in description is given on the sixth day, which means whatever God created on the sixth day must be really special. And we all know what He created on the sixth day, the land animals and, and humans. He made us. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend most of our time looking at the crown of God's handiwork, which is human life, and we'll be able to answer how did God create us. So let's look um, at our passage, and and then let's look at some truths that this passage is teaching us. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. We're just picking up half the day of day 6 they uh, um, verse 25 God uh, verse 24 um, that is when God started creating the land creatures verse 26 this is where we pick up it says this then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness they will rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky the livestock the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth so God created man in his own image he created him in the image of God he created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So if you're taking notes, here's the very first truth we learn about this this, this creation account on the sixth day is that humans are the crown of God's handiwork. Humans are the crown, the the pinnacle of God's handiwork. You're like, how did I come up with that? I didn't pull that out of thin air, but this passage I I, I believe gives us several reasons why we are the crown of God's handiwork. If you notice all the creation accounts starting with day 1 all the way to down day 6 the creation account shows this ascending order of significance with human life as the final pinnacle creative act in other words when god started filling the earth he filled it with sea creatures flying creatures land creatures and then who humans out of all the the second reason is out of all the creative acts This is the only creative act that started with a divine deliberation, a divine conversation. Out of all the creative acts, God said, let there be. But when it came to humans, there was this this, this divine dialogue. And how did it begin? It says, let us make man. Let us make man. What it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Second, third reason is human life alone is created in the image and likeness of God. Sea creatures, flying creatures, land creatures, any kind of creatures are not image bearers. Who are image bearers? Humans. We are fourth reason why humans are the crown of God's handiwork is humans alone have been given a special assignment and what was that special assignment be fruitful multiply he told that to the sea creatures and the birds but then also what to rule to take dominion over it Another reason why we are the crown of God's handiwork is that the event of God creating human life is given more description than all the other things that God has created, and, and notice this in verse twenty four. Unlike the animals who have said to come from the land, look at verse twenty four. Then God said, "Let the earth produce living creatures." You're like, "Whoa, time out here." Did the earth create living feed, uh, creatures? No, because you also they came from the land. Because in verse twenty five. Who created them? God did. But where did we come from? Man is referred to as only a direct creation of God. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Verse 27 says So God created man in his own image, and he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And then the last one reason is why humans are the crown of God's handiwork is right after he created us. What did he look at? What's the very first thing that God pronounced over us in verse 28? God blessed them. God gave us his divine blessings. So let's stop here. What's the implications of this truth? you are the pinnacle of god's creation you might not feel like it but you are the crown of god's handiwork and if you are the crown and the pinnacle of his handiwork and of his creation that means you do not belong to yourself but you belong to who To God, because you are the pinnacle. You are the crown of His handiwork. And so when you sometimes find life and you feel like life is not worth living for, the truth that you have forgotten is that you are the crown of His handiwork. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to to God. And oh, how sin has distorted that view. Because anybody feels like the pinnacle of God's creation? Now, you feel like the algae of God's creation. But let me tell you, what does Genesis proclaim? No, you are the pinnacle. You are the crown of his handiwork. Here's the second truth that this passage teaches us. We need to move on here. If you're taking notes, not only are you the crown of God's handiwork, um, but the second one is humans are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God okay so now the question we have to ask ourselves and we need to try to answer is if god created us in his image and in his likeness what does that mean what does it mean to be made to be created in the image and likeness of god theologians call it the imago day and i'm not going to go into the complexities of it i'm just going to show you through the simplicity of scripture what it means. So there's three parts in Genesis where that phrase image and likeness is revealed. So quickly write down the reference and we're going to look at each reference and take the truth out of that reference and put it all together, okay? The first reference is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. That's the very first time we, we learn about us being made in the image and likeness of God. The second reference is Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 3 and the third reference is genesis chapter 9 verse 6. so the question we have to ask ourselves and try to answer is what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of god what's his implications of it so where do we go for answers we go to the bible all right so let's quickly read genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 27 again and let's see what some truth we can get out of here okay verse 26 says this genesis 1 Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And look at the next thing he says. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And then verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created him male and female. So based off this passage, what seems to be tied to being an image bearer? Ruling. Because the, the very next thing that God says after, let's make him according to our likeness and in our image, he says, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So in other words, the implications of being created in the image of God is that we have been made rulers over God's creation. If God is king, and the creator of everything and everyone, and He rules, and He sits on His throne, and He rules over all creation, and then He appoints us to rule on His behalf, what does that make us? If we keep on with this analogy, uh, or this, this, this allegory of, uh, of ruling, it's almost if he is king, then we are, in a sense, his royal representatives. We are his vice regents. And what are, what are we supposed to be doing? Ruling over his creation. So some truth we see about what it means to be an image bearer means to be a royal representative, a vice regent, with a job, assi- not just the title, but the job assignment of ruling over all of creation. All right. Again, we're going to piece all it together, but that's what we get in that passage. Let's look at Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, 3, and see if, if we gain a little bit more insight of what it means to be an image bearer. Now, again, God's perfect creation... We all know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? The fall, man's rebellion. So this is after. And yet those terms are still used. It says, this is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female. And when they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. Do you see how that language is repeated? So in other words, the fall did not change that status. The fall at de- that status, but it didn't change it. Verse 3, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness according to his image and named him Seth. So based on what we read in Genesis chapter 5 verses 1 to 3, it almost appears that the terms um, image and likeness is kind of used interchangeably. Because again, like they say in verse one, only likeness but not image. And then in verse three, they say image and likeness is almost used interchangeably. But another truth I think we can gain from is that this, this appointment of being God's royal representative, this appointment of being God's vice regent to rule over creation, was not just originally given to Adam and Eve, but rather this appointment was passed on to who? To his son. Seth okay so in other words really what we're gathering is is that to be a, a um, an image bear to be made in the likeness is passed on from generation to generation and what that means is for us in our culture we have a hard time to understand that uh, but when you're raised in the likeness in the image of your father that means whatever career he does he follows what's your career that, that's your career. Your daddy's a baker, you're a baker. Your daddy's a carpenter, you're a carpenter. I know it's strange for us in our Western civilization. It's like, no, I forge my own trail. I don't have anybody telling me what to do. Yeah, that's unnatural. That's not how it worked in the Bible. And look how it's ending up. It's disastrous. I'm just kidding. Let, let me move on here. So in other words... If Adam was appointed as a royal representative, as a vice-regent, Seth was appointed as a royal representative, vice-regent. He is following in his daddy's business. And what's the business right now? It was rule over creation. Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. It says... Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his his image. So in other words, the implication of being an image bearer, based on Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, is that sanctity of human life is safeguarded on the fact that that human life bears the image of God. The reason why murder is prohibited is because that human is... An image bearer which means what gives you value in life what gives you worth and life is what the fact that you are an image bearer I promise I need to stay on 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 my notes because there's so many trails I want to go down but let's focus here so based on Genesis 1 Genesis 5 Genesis 9, what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Putting all of that information together means to bear God's image, to be made in the likeness of God means that you have been appointed as a royal representative, a vice regent to rule over God's creation. And practically speaking, how do you rule over God's creation? It's called work. It's called work. How do you rule over His creation? You work. You work the ground. You work the earth. You work the animals. And it's not just a title you've been given. It's a job assignment to perform. And so when you work and when you take dominion over God's creation, that's what it means to be an image bearer and that is what gives you worth not your work but the fact that god created you in his image and there's a sense of satisfaction you want to take somebody's humanity away take their work away from them tell them you can't work because well you can't contribute to society type a people what's the highlight of your day when you have a, when you have a list checking it off like why is there so much like like endorphins in your mind and satisfaction because you conquered. You took dominion over it because you are actually living out what it means to be an image bearer. Now for some of you artsy people, you don't have a checklist, but what gives you great satisfaction after you've created a masterpiece that has taken you decades to do and you put it on the wall and all you can do is just sit and behold it? That is you bearing God's image. So what's the implications of being an image bearer, being made in the likeness? First of all, the implications is that you are not just a human. You are a royal representative. You are a vice regent of the king, which means you have value. You have significance, which means you have a purpose you have a job to perform some of you say i'm an unemployed no you're not unemployed because god employed you to do what to rule to take dominion that's what ge- that 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 is what gives you purpose But what has happened is we know that the role of ruling has not been fully realized or twisted because of our rebellion against sin. We've abandoned our responsibility of ruling over God's creation. And that's why for some of us, in our laziness and in our slothfulness of not living the life that God has created us to live, we feel like we have no purpose, no worth, no value, and then there's no value to human life. Well, for some of us, we've twisted this, this, rule, this roles of ruling, and where instead of ruling under the accountability of God, we've ruled on the accountability of ourselves. And we've created this sense of hierarchy where some are more important than others. We oppress, we conquer, we abuse our human powers to serve our own ends, and we believe that we are the ultimate rulers and responsible, responsible to no one. That's what sin has done. It has twisted it. Being an image bearer, being a royal representative or a vice region is not dependent on your education. It is not dependent on your ethnicity. It is not dependent uh, on your socioeconomic status. No. It is dependent on God. Creating you in his image and his likeness. And he has appointed you as a royal representative and as a vice regent. And he says, work. And I know it's hard for us to see that. We see important people as vice regents, royal representative. But when we look at the homeless man, what do we see? We don't see that. But that's the reality. That's what sin has done. It has distorted our views. It's distorted our views on ourselves. It's distorted our views on how we view others. We're image bearers. The bearing and what's happened is this, this bearing of God's image It's like this crown we've received and over time it has faded of its glory and the glory of its crown has diminished. And and think about this. Let me tie this to Jesus real quick and then we move on. When Jesus Christ comes, when he came and he has redeemed us and he has adopted us into the family of God, as a result of us being adopted and redeemed by King Jesus, now we become heirs to what? We become heirs to the kingdom of God. What does it mean to become an heir of the kingdom? You're not a subject of the kingdom. You're an heir to the kingdom. You're inheriting the kingdom, which means that title of royal representative vice-regent that has been lost or diminished because of the fall, that title will now be reclaimed where you will sit and rule with King Jesus as vice-regent to the ultimate king. And what has begun in Genesis is going to end when Jesus comes back. And this is what we need to recapture. Um, This has been fun. Let's move on. The last one will even be more fun. And unfortunately, we're not going to finish our text. But here's the third truth that we learn about. Not only are we the crown of God's handiwork, we're image bearers, but God created us, if you're taking notes, He created us male and, and female. Male and female. Now, it's, it's very interesting that the Hebrew word used is used male and female, not man and woman. Like the Hebrew word, when you translate it, it should be translated correctly. Male, female, not man, woman. And what that Hebrew word focuses on is human sexuality. We're going to get into that. I'll try to keep it PG for some of the kids out here. But here's what we learned both male and female members are image bearers which means both are equally human and share in the same personal worth and both are responsible for what for ruling both male and female are royal representative vice regents both have been given the mandate of ruling the fish ruling the the flying creatures the land creatures However, in that role of ruling, we're going to start seeing a little bit in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, the role distinction of male and female. But here's one of the first things I want us to note. After God created us male and female, sexual creatures, look at the very first that God thing, the, the thing that God says in verse 28. God blessed them and said what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and then subdue it. So in other words, this blessing is tied to what? Procreation. God's blessing is tied to procreation. And if God's blessing is tied to procreation, that means human beings are sexual beings human sexuality and sexual bonding between a husband and a wife is deemed to be very good so deemed that god blesses it and it's honored by by this divine ordinance for men and women and human sexuality in genesis is a blessed function in the creative purposes of god and it is essential for carrying out the mandate of ruling and so, if human procreation is, is essential for carrying out God's mandate of ruling the earth, then now we already begin to see the different roles between male and female in ruling, because there are certainly different roles in procreation, isn't there? Do you want me to give you guys an anatomy lesson? <laughs> One guy's like, "Yeah, yeah." Now I'm not going to go there. Can men bear children? No, they don't have a womb. Uh, You you guys get the picture, right? I don't need to go on. Okay. Now think about this, and this really struck me here. If our sexuality and procreation is tied to God's blessing and essentially tied close to um, ruling and reigning over the earth, subduing it, Think about the importance of procreation throughout the entire Bible. Like I know in our culture, we devalue procreation. We we, we just put no value to it. But think about the entire Bible. Like like Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Like God promises a Messiah through which means? Procreation. God makes a promise to Abraham and says all the nations will be blessed through you. Through procreation. David wants to build a house for God. God says, no, I'm going to build a house for you. Through procreation. Mary, the angel says, you are blessed. And what is Mary going to do? She is going to bear a son through procreation. Not Joseph, but conceived of the Holy Spirit it shows you how important procreation is to fulfilling the mandate that God has given us. So so what is the implications of us being made male and female? That means your sexuality has been assigned to you by God who is your creator. Your sexuality is male or female is blessed by God and it plays a very important role in taking dominion and ruling over the earth. That means like one of the most important jobs for you to to be doing right now is to be a mother and a father. It's not one job. It's the most important job because it's about like the only job that Genesis talks about. But again, like we don't value that in our society. Like like you're not going to see a picture of a mom on Time Magazine for just being a mom. You're not going to see a dad for just being a dad winning the Nobel Peace Prize. I know know we're not getting amens because our views are so skewed when it comes to mothering and fathering. Like let's just be honest. Like we do not value moms and dads. Celebrating Mother's Day and Father's Day, that, that, that's useless. Let, let's just be honest. Because none of us have dreams, very few of us, I shouldn't say none of us, very few of us have dreams of our only job and our only fulfillment in life we want to do is be a mom and a dad. It's always with, I want to do this, but I also want to do this. And what you struggle with your entire life is seeing these roles always conflicting with each other. But sin has distorted us. We've devalued being a mother or father we feel like is an insignificant job. It's not that of an important of job. And we have also live in a culture where human sexuality has been so distorted and so confused. And when you devalue mothers and fathers, when you distort human sexuality and you confused human sexuality, the family suffers. So what do we do with this? I'm not saying quit your job and only focus on being a mom and a dad. I'm not saying now, if you only have one kid, have 10 kids. Because again, what has sin done? Sin has distorted it. Sin has impacted Some of you might never be able to be a mom or a dad because of sin. Not your sin, but just what has happened to the human body. Like, like, like That's just the reality of it. But what, we ha- what do we need to do is we need to recapture That being a mom, being a dad, having kids, being a family is a significant job. It is a very important job. And it might be the most important job that the Lord has given you. Your sexuality of being a male, being a female. Like that is a very important job that God has given you. And here's what we need to do. Rather than us looking, turning on the world and pointing fingers and say, you guys have it all wrong. What's wrong with you? We need to look into the mirror and say, we've distorted our views and we need to recapture what the Bible teaches of being a man and being a woman, being a male and being a female. And what it means to be an image bearer and we then need to model it to the world. Which means when you find yourself nursing a baby at midnight and you feel like your life has no purpose, you say thank you Lord Jesus that I have that given me the responsibility of being a mom and nursing this child at midnight even though no one sees it because what I'm doing right now is I am taking dominion over creation. As a dad when you are wiping that nasty diaper and you feel like I have a PhD. I can be doing better things right now. You know what's the most important, the most significant thing you can do at that moment? Is clean that diaper. Because you are taking dominion. You are ruling. We need to get rid of this wow and wondrous jobs and all this hype. Because look at all these celebrities, all these people that have accomplished all the dreams we've ever won. Look how happy they are in life. They're not taking dominion. Take dominion. Where God has you, take dominion in that role. And let's say, because you're physically unable to have a kid, does that mean you can't rule? No. You can rule by helping other parents raise their kids. Because what is the church? The church, one of the the analogies of the church is family. We have mothers, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles, aunts, and a ton of little kids running around. There's plenty of diapers to change around. Do it. That is how we take dominion over the earth. The last one, and then we're going to wrap up. If you're taking notes, is humans have been assigned as caretakers of creation. We've been assigned as caretakers of creation. Look at verse 28b. After God says, "To be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth." What does He say? He says, "Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth." And then God, in the rest of the passage, assigns to us our food and what we can eat and what we, and how He provides for us. But that means what that means is this: we bear the responsibility under God and as how accountable for the world God has created and how we govern it the earth has been given to us we've been called to steward the earth to take care of it um proverbs 12 verse 10 says a righteous man cares for the needs of his animals We see how God has provided for us with food. And we've seen how he's assigned us the responsibility of taking care of his creation. Here's the implications of this truth. You are a caretaker of the earth. How you steward God's earth, you will be held accountable to God. And again, that responsibility of caretaking for the earth has been been neglected, has been distorted. Now, I'm not saying all of you, as Christians, we should all drive EVs and we should all do this and I'm, I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is you're responsible for how you take care of the earth. Now I know creation is fractured, the sin has distorted, and I don't think it's wise for us to say, well, creation is dead, going, dying anyway. Might as well just contribute it and just speed the process on, like, I don't think that's helpful because has does the mandate of being a caretaker not still stand for you? Are you not going to be held accountable for how you've stewarded what God has given you? Does Jesus not teach something very similar in based of talents? And do you think those talents have nothing to do with being a caretaker of the earth? Some of you have green thumbs. Who do you think gave you that talent? Some of you can take a piece of wood and make something beautiful out of a piece of wood. Who do you think gave you that talent? Be a caretaker of the earth. So, so let me wrap it up. We'll, we'll start Genesis 2 next week. So if you are the crown of God's handiwork, if you are an image bearer, if your sexuality has been assigned to you by God, and the way you bear that sexuality is through procreation, by taking rule of the earth, and you've been given the responsibility of being a caretaker of this world. When we think about creation like this, let's just be honest, like you're almost saying, Neil, what you're talking about seems impossible. It seems like everything described in Genesis chapter 1 has occurred in this alternate universe. Like, this is all impossible. Like, I feel like giant failure's here. And that's kind of my point. Because you're not going to realize how awful the fall is. You're not going to realize how sin has infiltrated every single area of your life until you see how beautiful creation was. And what we need to be doing is we need to see these truths for who they are, and we need to start recognizing and seeing how sin has distorted these truths, and then we need to start recapturing these truths and model these truths, and here's how we can do it. Not by trying harder, but because Jesus has already come and He's already begun His new creation work. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He is a new creation. The new has come and the old has gone. Which means his new restorative creative work has already begun. It might not be fully realized, but it has already begun. And if it has already begun, we now, in a sense, can show the world. We can recapture the world and model to the world like what this new creation looks like. And we know it's going to be fully realized when Jesus comes back to make all things new. So we don't have to put our hands up in the air and say, oh, well, it's all lost. No, we can look at it, we can be amazed by it, and we can start recapturing these truths and then model them for the rest of the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you have made us the pinnacle of your creation, that you have appointed us as vice regents to rule over your beautiful creation. You've made us in your image. You've made us male and female. You've given us the gift of procreation, the responsibility of filling the earth and then subduing it to take care of it. And Lord, we're all, if we have to be honest, we all confess that we have woefully fallen short of this mandate that you have given us. We have taken image bearers and we've devalued and dehumanized some. We have abused some. We have taken this role that you've given it and we've either neglected it or we've twisted it to serve ourselves. We've taken the responsibility of being a mother and a father, and we've devalued it because our culture says it's insignificant. Forgive us. Help us, Lord, to recapture it in our lives. Help us to model to the world what it looks like to be an image bearer, to take dominion over the earth, to be a godly mother, a godly father, to raise up godly offspring that can fill and subdue the earth and help us to be good stewards of what you have given us and entrusted to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.